It's time. Time for what, you might ask? It's time to optimize your health and upgrade your life. Cutting-edge research, biohacks, ancestral wisdom, wellness, intuition, and more. This is The Synthesis of Wellness. Your host and biohacker Chloe Porter has a background in engineering, innovation, and research. Her analytical background coupled with her journey in overcoming a brain tumor and defeating several chronic illnesses enables her to approach health and wellness in an innovative way. And now more than ever, she is ready to share her biohacking secrets and expose cutting edge research. We are so glad you're here. Welcome to the Synthesis of Wellness podcast. Welcome to the very first episode of the Synthesis of Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Porter, and today we are going to interview a very special guest, my mom, Dr. Pamela Porter. She is amazing, and I'll introduce her in the actual episode, but for now, I just want to say thank you guys so much for tuning in today. This is the first episode, and... I'm so excited. I hope you are too. So without further ado, let's get into it. Dr. Pamela Porter is not only my mom, but she is a doctor of philosophy in educational psychology. She's a professor and researcher. One of her main interests is in positive psychology, which is essentially a branch of psychology focused on the science of well-being. She has attended conferences including the World Positive Education Accelerator in Fort Worth, and she has continued her education by becoming certified through the University of Pennsylvania in the Foundations of Positive Psychology Certification Program. This only scratches the surface. But without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Pamela Porter. Thank you so much for being on the show today. This is going to be an exciting episode, and I think my audience is going to love all of the information you're bringing to the table. Well, thank so, you for having me. Yeah, of course. So what got you interested in positive psychology during your PhD studies? Well, my PhD is in educational psychology, so I'm always interested in how people learn because um, I teach psychology as well. And during that time, I was researching some different educational backgrounds and came across the International Positive Education Network, or IPEN, who is one of the ones who brought that uh, those two first conferences on positive psychology, both to Dallas and then to Fort Worth. So would you say that that conference got you even more engaged in positive psychology and just studying well-being and how it pertains to educational psychology? Yes, because I had already been reading Martin Seligman, who is considered the person who is at the forefront of this and some other researchers like Sean Acor uh, and many others uh, to understand more about it because mostly psychology has focused for a very, very long time on everything that is wrong with us and not giving us any clue as to the things that are right with us. 
so that we can come from a place of strength instead of a place of weakness. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I've heard of Sean Acor, but can you remind me, like, for our audience especially, does he have any books or studies or how do you hear of him? Sean Acor has quite a few books and he's a researcher. He gathers different people's research and then makes it into um, something that's a lot more palatable for people to read. Um, I can't recall right this second his different books, but he also has gone to Google and other major corporations. He ends up doing a lot of stuff in group work rather than just, he's not a psychologist per se. Martin Seligman is a psychologist, worked for years in depression um, and helping depression. He came to fame uh, with understanding learned helplessness in the 1960s. He was the APA president in the 1990s. Uh, so in his book these days is basically the science of human flourishing. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And um, I'll, I'll link in the show notes for the audience, um, Sean Acor and Martin, is it Seligman? Seligman. Yes. I'll, I'll link um, some resources there in the show notes so that uh, we can touch base on that at the end of the episode. But let's go ahead and get into the meat here. So what I really wanted to talk about is, you know, brain health, mental health, meditation, um, cognitive-based therapy, all of these practices we can do on our own to support our own well-being and our own strengths, like you were mentioning. So my first question is, when it comes to the brain, there's so much going on. And depending on who you ask and what type of doctor you ask or researcher, you're going to get a different answer, right? So with everything that's going on, all the specialized structures, is there a specific part of the brain or parts that the audience should know about for today's discussion? Well, on a broad spectrum, what we know about the processing of our emotions is that we should not deny any emotions at all, but we don't have to pay attention so much that we buy into. So what I mean by that is a lot of your thoughts can just pass through your brain. You can choose which ones you zero in on. With emotions, we have positive emotions and negative emotions, and both have value because both are there to teach you and to inform you. Um, so you need to look at both. But when you use something like meditation, it increases your positive emotions, which are on the left hemisphere of your brain. So it increases the left hemispheric activity. The negative emotions are more on the right hemisphere. So that's not denying the negative emotions, but when you give more activity to that right, that left hemisphere, what you're doing is creating more of a resilience to help you deal with the negative emotions. So, so I'm going to kind of jump in here for the audience. Um, since we're really focused on the parts of the brain here, just setting up the stage for the rest of the interview, would you say that you're your focus as a psychologist would really be just differentiating the left and right hemispheres and and using those as kind of our, our jumping off points for tackling things like emotions and stress. Well, we also need to understand the limbic system. 
because the limbic system, including a very important structure called the amygdala, the amygdala has a central role in your emotional responses. The limbic system was what's activated for your fight or flight system uh, with that release of that cortisol and all those stress and everything. And all of that long-term stress activates that limbic system and that can cause long-term damage, high blood pressure, damaged blood vessels, et cetera, et cetera. We know that traumatic stress in young children actually causes restructuring of the brain. Wow. So, so the limbic system is a system that uses the amygdala and the amygdala is one of the key parts of the brain. Yes. It's the amygdala is part of that limbic system. What we call the reptilian brain or the old brain is the limbic system because it's part of your involved in the fight or flight response. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, so aside from just knowing that there are different responses to emotions within our left and right hemispheres of the brain, the limbic system is another part that we should know about because of the amygdala and its relation to the fight or flight response. Yes. Okay, perfect. So that was just a little summary for the audience. And so let's go back to the left and right hemispheres and how those pertain to our emotions, like you were saying. Well, what we found is that we process emotions um, all over our brain, but there's more activity in one hemisphere versus the other hemisphere. So if our experiences of negative emotions are too heightened, then that's going to keep that right hemisphere activity. But what we want is to increase the left hemispheric activity. And we can do that purposefully with things like mindfulness and meditation. Okay. Okay. So that makes a lot of sense. So we want to shift our focus to mindfulness and meditation to increase, is it the right hemisphere? The left hemisphere. The left hemisphere of our brain's activity. So do you know how that happens? Not directly, um, because our brains tend to talk to each other. It just we sometimes have more uh, activity on one hemisphere than the other. But they it does cross your corpus callosum, which is what ties your both hemispheres together, because your left controls your right and your right controls your left in your body. So it just it processes all, but one hemisphere just tends to connect more with those positive emotions. That's really interesting. And would you say that like research was done on like like determining why maybe one side of the brain versus the other is more associated with those like good emotions and the other side's more like stress-based and and would you even go as far to say anger um just the negative emotions I guess. Right. They can see that when you do something like meditation or mindfulness if on in an fMRI, they can see the activity going on in the brain and which hemisphere lights up versus the other side of the hemisphere of your brain. That's, yeah, that's definitely interesting. What impact does that have on our body? Does that 
So the way I think about it is if one side of my brain is lighting up more and maybe more active, it's almost like I'm exercising that portion of my brain. Would you agree with that statement? Yes. I, I usually put it in the fact that you're, you increase or decrease your own resiliency, which is your body's way of, of handling things and fighting things. So just like your immune system in your body, when you exercise, you gain immunity to a lot of infections. Your body gets stronger to be able to fight things off. The more you meditate, do things like mindfulness, that increases that resiliency with those positive emotions for you to be able to handle and deal with on a normal level without it being catastrophic of negative emotions. So like if we're practicing things like mindfulness and meditation, we're essentially exercising the part of our brain that can foster these positive emotions for us. Yes. That's that's really interesting. And I think that's really applicable. And it almost brings a new side of kind of neurohacking to psychology in a sense. Like if you can exercise your brain through these practices like meditating or mindful walking or whatever it might be or cognitive based therapy you can literally help support positive emotions so that's great and i i also want to tie that back into the amygdala is that a structure associated with a certain hemisphere or where does that tie into this no, that's just part of your autonomic nervous system. So that's part of your, um, what we call the reptilian brain. And you need it because it, it, it's activated for the recognition of fear, right? So we've needed it through history to know when do we run away for that fight or flight. But what we really want to do to be able to help, because we can't live in fight or flight. When we live in fight or flight, we cause all kinds of damage to our body. That accelerated cortisol and all of those things. And there are many techniques to help bring that back into focus. We want to tap into what they call the mammalian system or our caregiving system where we can hack into for, you know, if you want to use that term into your different feel good hormones, like your oxytocin and the release of those kinds of things to feel safe so that we can then deal with whatever situation. So our daily hassles don't start to ignite that fight or flight, because that just causes more trauma and, and less resiliency and more negative emotions. So where, where you're, you're going, going is you're basically saying the amygdala is really involved with our neurotransmitters. Yes. And ensuring that we have, you know, the oxytocin, the dopamine, and all of those feel-good hormones, right? The amygdala is the one that does the cortisol mostly. It does the fear. It's a recognition of that fear. So if it's overactive, then you're going to be living in a high stress. Your whole body will be in high stress. You want to go away from that structure and that particular system. Activation. The activation into your more your self-care, your mammalian caregiving, you know, kind of um, activation, which you can do through different techniques. You can do it with, Again, meditation helps you do that. The way you talk to yourself is big on whether you enact your reptilian brain or your mammalian brain. So if you want the, if 
you're using a lot of self-criticism, then you're tapping into that limbic system and that threat and that amygdala. And if you are tapping into your mammalian caregiving, then you're tapping again more into that, that left hemisphere with all those positive emotions and giving yourself the resiliency that you need, which is like your immune system, only in your brain for your emotions, your that resiliency that you need to help you tackle whatever's in front of you. So it's igniting your limbic system. Yeah, no, I think that summarizes just about everything we've we've talked about so far in a very eloquent way. So I want to start moving from that into those practices you were just now mentioning. Like what what can we do aside from meditation or just talking to ourselves? Are there any specific key practices that can help exercise our brain to ensure we're producing those positive emotions and feel-good hormones? There are several ways that you can do this. It's like tools in a toolbox. I mean, there's so many ways. Um, One way is to just bring yourself to the present moment. And you can do that using um, this one therapist, his three-by-three method. His name is Phil Bossier, uh, and he uses a three-by-three method that takes 30 seconds of your time. That takes you right out of your right out of your amygdala limbic system and right back into mindfulness so that you can deal with whatever you're dealing with. And basically, all you do is look at three things in a room, and you don't give an adjective to them; you just name them. This is a chair. You take a deep breath. Let a deep breath out. This is a screen. Take a deep breath. Let a deep breath out. This is a pencil. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. And you do that three times. And that that practice was studied to both downregulate the fear of the amygdala and upregulate those good emotions in the left hemisphere. Right. It brings you back to that that mindful moment where you can then handle things. Um, you can breathe in, counting upwards to six, and breathe out, counting backwards, six, five, four, three, two, one, very slowly. Uh, You can do other things by making sure you get outside and that you touch the earth in some form or fashion. You feel connected and grounded. You can use your fingers and touch each of your fingers to your thumb, one at a time, backwards and forwards, and you can say a forward mantra. Mine just happens to be peace begins with me. I just keep saying it in my head back to myself, and nobody has to know that you're doing this little thing with your fingers to bring down your limbic system and enact your mammalian system where you're caring for yourself. You can talk to yourself in your head, understanding, giving yourself that compassion for whatever it is you're dealing with, because we have to be able to give ourselves compassion before we can give it to somebody else. So we have to accept that we can help ourselves and guide ourselves through very difficult situations by the way we talk to ourselves in our, in our head. Now, if somebody does all these practices or even works on breathing techniques, which I'm sure are also beneficial, are, are there any studies of long-term like anatomical changes to the brain as a result of doing these types of meditative practices? 
Yes, and actually it's something that I am investigating much more fully now. Um, and that's mindfulness-based stress reduction, which has actually been around for quite some time. Um, and it was studied and, and actually founded at the University of Massachusetts in the 1970s by John Kabat-Zinn. Um, and so it's a meditation therapy. And what they have found is that it, they use it to treat depression, anxiety, chronic pain, cancer, immune disorders, et cetera, et cetera. And they ran these studies alongside people who were getting chemotherapy. At the same time, they were going through his mindfulness MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction system. And the people who went through MBSR all had better long-term outcomes for their brain and their immune system than the people who did not, who just did chemotherapy. Wow, that's, that's pretty amazing and impactful to know that our emotions can almost regulate our immune system in a way. And did they, in the study, did they touch on like, or did they examine the brains of these individuals using like some type of MRI to see if there are any actual structural changes either? I don't know that they actually could do that since this was first founded in the 1970s. Um, I'm reading the updated version now, so I'm not sure how much they've been able to see in fMRIs, uh, but I do know that they have that mind-body awareness has been uh, found to reduce those physiological effects of stress and pain. Um, It's helped to develop less emotional reactivity. What they mean by that is that amygdala being enacted at at a drop of a hat, there's less of that amygdala being sparked, that fight or flight, because they have these um, experiences with mindfulness-based stress reduction. So going off of that, I'd be interested to research almost since I know the human body works, like if you don't use a certain structure, sometimes that organ or structure can almost um, degrade over time or, or just not be functioning to its capacity. So I almost wonder if there's like, a little, a little bit, bit of an anatomical change with the amygdala, but I'd have to research that. And maybe we could talk about that on a later episode for sure. Cause I think our audience would definitely be interested in that. Cause it's basically like saying that by practicing in meditation or breath work or grounding, like you mentioned, or doing those counting exercises and especially and mindfulness-based stress reduction, MBSR, like you just said with the study, it's essentially like doing those things are neuroprotective and could possibly even shrink, for lack of a better term, the amygdala. But we do know it can affect the amygdala's response by downregulating it. So that that's definitely interesting. And I want to also take this into more mind-body practices like yoga. What, what do you think about that? Uh, yoga, the first and basically what they tell you when you go into yoga is that um, if you went in and you breathe and you did the breath work with them, that's yoga. <laughs> so basically what they're trying to do is increase oxygen, which helps absolutely everything in your body. It helps your brain um, because we know that the risk factors for things like Alzheimer's are all decreased oxygen. 
anything that is an increase of oxygen is actually a protective factor for your brain. So we know through things like yoga and meditation, we can reverse even brain damage um, that is known as cognitive decline, and we can reshape the brain. So we know that that can happen because that increased oxygen. And I think um, for my audience, I want to also clarify that that's not just you know, breathing more or increasing our respiration rate, but that's the oxygen availability in our body. That's basically just using breath work and using yoga, I would say, would you agree, as methods of of exercising our oxygen consumption so that we're utilizing it properly? Yes. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Um, so kind of finishing up here with some of the more, um, you know, anatomy based topics and how we can put some of these things into practice. Do you have any advice for somebody who is managing stress for, for like in your own life, how would you go about managing stress? Would you engage in yoga or MBSR or tell me what your personal routine is? I do many of the things that for short term, some of the ones that I already talked about touching my fingers each way and saying peace begins with me, that's momentary. But for long term, I have a yoga practice. I have a meditation practice. Um, I have a recognition of when I'm thinking irrational thoughts so that I can use cognitive therapy basically to reroute those thoughts from irrational to rational, which takes down your stress level as well. When you realize what you're thinking is irrational, you can let it pass by because actually mindfulness is nothing more than you being able to be in the present moment in that experience without any evaluation, no judgment. So you give no judgment to anything. You just are in a moment. Now we can't live there, but every time we can be there for a short periods of time, we increase all of those things into our systems. Um, and the more you can, Hmm? And, and and possibly even like strengthen our immune system, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. The more we can, they recommend 20 minutes a day of a meditation practice um, over eight weeks to see the biggest changes. You, some people who see immediate changes within a couple of sessions, some people, they can't do 20 minutes at first, and that's okay. You can start with a minute. There's a lot of apps out there. Some are free. Some cost money. You need to find what works for you. Um, there's a lot of different do you, resources. Do you have any particular apps you want to mention? I like Smiling Mind. Okay, because and is that free? It is free. It is free. It is based out of a university system in Australia, so it's been researched. It's highly researched. It has different types of meditations for work, for school, for age groups, for all different things that you're looking for from one minute to longer, however you need. Um, and it is supported, again, by this university. So to me, that one works really, really well um, for what I need. No, that's great. great. And I think it's even better that it it is free because 
you know, there's so many tools and even in the biohacking community, which I definitely consider myself to be a biohacker, there's so many expensive tools out there. But I like that pretty much everything we went over today was free and you can literally implement it right now, today. And just about all of us have smartphones so like you can download the app and and get started on that too so i i also want to touch on books though um are there any books that you think are particularly helpful um there are quite a few that you can you can get um if you really want to know about um mindfulness and meditation there is a four book series by john kabat-zinn uh, which starts with meditation is not what you think it's not what you think. So you can see why it's so important to his understanding of MBSR, which is full catastrophic living um, that, you know, helps you understand the wisdom of your body, your mind for stress and pain and illness. There's a lot of other kinds of, different resources for instance i'm reading now again about post-traumatic growth and how we become better not in spite of what we've been through but because of what we've been through and how do we tap into and use those things to be better and not be ill um so there's plenty a lot of different people that you could look to i just believe john kabat zinn is probably the most knowledgeable on meditation and mindfulness. Okay, so that's who that's who I'll link in the show notes about um, reaching out to as far as resources go for mindful ta- uh, mindfulness and meditation. Um, the researchers who developed the Smiling Mind, um, yeah. I can't remember their names right now. They're from a university in Australia, and again, highly researched. Uh, because they're through the positive psychology movement. And again, most people associated with positive psychology are giving away not only their research, but everything that they've developed from that to help bring, you know, raise the bar and help people see more and come from a place of strength. Uh, you can go to UPenn's website and take a whole host of different um quizzes and surveys and that sort of thing all for free you trade your email address but (laughs) they are all for free and help you see like what your character strengths are so you can come from a place of strength versus a place of weakness so to to kind of summarize all this up basically this whole positive psychology well-being um study and research movement is is based around enhancing our strengths, recognizing our strengths, and and working on practices that can put us more in the moment of life and and non-judgmental emotion and and down-regulating fear, down-regulating a stress response through all those practices you just mentioned. Yeah, we want, I start, when I teach positive psychology for the very brief time I get to in, in class, we start with a gratitude letter and we end with a self-compassion letter so that you work on different kinds of things. And both of those increase resiliency, which is the name of the game. You want to increase your resiliency 
both brain and body, because that's what's going to allow you to take it, those thoughts that are irrational that you can recognize through cognitive therapy and change them through cognitive behavioral therapy and be able to handle anything that life comes from you from a place of strength versus weakness versus in overreaction and stress and cortisol and all of those things that wreak havoc on your body. That's great. And I, I'm really glad that you were able to come and talk about all these different practices today and just get us going. But I'd love to have you on the show some more to go maybe deeper into um, different applications of all these different practices. I know we kind of just scratched the surface of a bunch of different ways you can implement this into your daily life, but there's so many more. So if you're listening and you want to hear more, um, I am going to try and get Dr. Porter back on the podcast. So we'll wait for a later date and stay tuned for that. But thank you so much, Dr. Porter, for showing up today and giving us so many great tips for downregulating our nervous system, starting with the amygdala and enhancing those feel good neurotransmitters as well as positive emotions. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. The content provided by the Synthesis of Wellness LLC via its podcast and domain is for informational purposes only and should not be used as medical advice or as a replacement for medical care. The Synthesis of Wellness podcast, synthesisofwellness.com, the Synthesis of Wellness LLC, and Chloe Porter disclaim responsibility from adverse effects resulting from using the content provided. Please seek and consult a licensed physician for your health and medical needs. Furthermore, Chloe Porter and the Synthesis of Wellness podcast are not responsible for the opinions of guests featured on the podcast.